Wow, it seems like a really long time since we heard those words from Romans, but it wasn't, <laughs> it was only a few months ago. Um, but we're just going to continue in, the, in that series again. And, and, and Paul has set such an incredible foundation in the first five chapters, talking about just the, the depth of sin that we find ourselves in and that we have no ability, no opportunity. There's absolutely nothing we can do to gain a righteousness of our own. But then God comes in and saves the day and gives us a righteousness that's not of our own, but is his own righteousness. And so salvation then comes by grace through faith. And we celebrate that. One of the, the great lines at the end of Romans 5 was, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. What an incredible truth. But I have to admit, I can be a little sarcastic and snarky sometimes. I really can. Anybody else out there, can you be snarky and sarcastic? Anybody, a few of you. And if you have kids who are snarky, Every parent should raise their hand at some point, especially if you have junior hires. I think they rubbed off on me as I continue to minister to them. But I hear a statement that says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And I start to think to myself, huh, so the more I sin, the more grace I get, right? So I should just keep on sinning, guys, right? I should, I should just keep on living in this sin because the more sin I have, the more grace I receive. So, man, I found the loophole. There's a loophole in the gospel. Who knew? There, there isn't. That was sarcasm. Okay, don't, don't confuse that. Um, that's truth. No, it, it, it's funny how my mind even would, would start to think like that. But Paul must have spent some time around some pretty snarky folks because he anticipates this being a question of people. He anticipates that people are going to see this and go, well, then what value is there in stopping our sin? Does this gospel actually work to the point where I stop sinning? It kind of sounds like people continue to have permission to live in sin. And so he addresses it here in Romans 6.1. So listen to the, to the question Paul asks. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Timothy Keller says it this way. He says, does the gospel message lead you to change the sinful patterns in your life? And if it does, how does it do so? Won't the message just encourage us to keep on sinning so that grace will keep on covering? That's a great question. Does the gospel provide the power to overcome sin? Now, <laughs> does it? And if we look at Romans 6 through 8, Paul kind of takes three chapters to kind of hash this out. Where does the power to overcome sin in the present come from? How do we do that? How is that accomplished? Well, listen to his emphatic answer to the idea that we would go on sinning. By no means. That can't be any further from the truth. By no means should we continue sinning. And then he answers why. 
because we are those who have died to sin. We are those who have died to sin. If you have been saved by God's grace through faith, you have died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? How can we live in it any longer? He wastes absolutely no time in his response, and neither should we when we are faced with the temptation to sin in our own lives. No way. By no means. Let me pray. Lord God, there is incredible truths here in this word. And I pray that this truth would indwell in our hearts. That we would recognize with great confidence and clarity the fact that we have died to sin and that we are an altogether new person in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so Paul is about to go into eight verses explaining how we have died to sin. But before I get into that, I want to share an illustration with you that was kind of new to me. Um, I, I must confess that when people started talking about Juneteenth as a holiday, I honestly had no idea what it was this past year. And so hopefully, like most people, I said, well, I kind of want to know what this is talking about. So let's, let's look. So I, I got online and I looked at it and I go, this is an incredible illustration for what Paul is talking about here. And so I'm going to read this about what Juneteenth is. And, and I want to, to help you see and understand how the knowledge of something changes someone's life. So I'm reading this straight from... Um, a website that talked about Juneteenth. It says, Juneteenth is the oldest nationally celebrated commemoration of the ending of slavery in the United States. Dating back to 1865, it was on June 19th that the Union soldiers, led by Major General Gordon Granger, landed at Galveston, Texas, with news that the war had ended and that the enslaved were now free. This is good news. Note, that this was two and a half years after President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, which had become official January 1st, 1863. Oh, so what does that mean? That means a people declared free continued to live in slavery for two years because they didn't understand, didn't have knowledge of the freedom that actually belonged to them. Imagine getting sentenced to jail. You go to jail, and then, you know, the next day the judge goes, oh, I guess that proved that they were innocent. But nobody told anybody for two years. So you're just in jail for two years for no reason, not knowing that you are free. Which leads me to the first major point I want us to understand today. Guys, we have to understand that our status as a new creation means that we are dead to sin and we are alive to Christ Jesus. We are a people no longer enslaved to our sin. 
We are no longer a people enslaved to our sin. And so Paul is going to take these next eight verses here and explain this in more detail. So let's go to that passage in, in Romans 6, 3. It says, or don't you know, and I just love that, or don't you know, don't you know this? Don't you know this? Why would you go on sinning? Don't you know this? We are those who have died to sin. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Christ for we know that, sin, that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives he lives to God. Church, do you want victory over sin? Do you want victory? If your answer is yes, I have really good news. You have victory. We have been baptized into Christ's death and his resurrection life. We are so in union with Jesus that when he went to the cross, he took our sin, he took our shame, he took our old self and put it to death. You see, baptism is, is this public declaration of identification. It means we are, being, we are publicly declaring a new status. We are a new person. The old has died. The new is here. And we practice it as a, as a symbol representing a reality that has actually happened. It's kind of like this bag, right, full of Nerf darts because I'm a junior high pastor. So if you don't have Nerf darts on you, you never know what could happen in the hallways. You always have to be ready. But that's not the point of this, all right? I have this bag what color is this bag? It's a blue bag. That was, good job. Good job, church. Okay. Now, this bag was made out of cotton. Okay. Anybody ever seen a blue field of cotton? Anybody? No, no, me neither. That would be quite the sight though, wouldn't it? So this bag at some point, the fiber in this bag was some sort of off-white color, some sort of white color, right? And what happened to that? Well, it, get, it got dipped all the way into a dye, and that dye made what was white, what was off-white has now become blue. Nobody looks at this bag and goes, man, look at that off-white bag that turned blue. Nobody does that. 
It's a new creation. It's a new bag. It has a new identity. It died and came out a new color. When we are in Christ, we get baptized into Christ. When he dies, we died with him. When he rose from the dead, we rose with him. If we remember from Romans 1, without Christ, we are utterly ruled by sin. We are on the downward spiral. We are spinning hard, spinning fast down there. It's not good. We can't help ourselves. Romans 1.21 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Our old self, our flesh, our heart of stone could not glorify God or give thanks to God and had no desire to do so. That's the state we're in before Christ. But God's grace, but by God's grace, through faith, we have been so thoroughly united to Jesus that when he died to sin, we died too. Listen to verse 4. It says, we were therefore buried with him. Another way of saying that is to be buried together with him. In verse 6, it says, our old self was crucified with him. To crucify together with him. And then Paul says it so clearly in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. A theologian, Miles J. Stanford, when talking about living a life in victory, says that one of the things people need to do to come to this place where they experience victory over sin is to first recognize that his cross, Jesus' cross, is our cross too. When he died on the cross, our old self died too the moment we put our faith in him. Our sins are gone. They have died. They no longer rule over us. That old self who finds no delight in God, who has no inkling of even trying to delight himself in God, who justifies himself apart from God, but by its own merit, who glorifies in itself, that part of us is dead. It is hanging on the cross. It is gone. We are a new creation Now, does sin still have a relationship to a believer? Yeah, it does. And we're going to talk about that a lot in the next coming chapters of Romans. But just to give you an idea of what that looks like, the the penalty of sin, that's been paid. It's done. It's over. Once for all. Penalty's gone. All right? Death no longer stands over us. The power of sin, though, That's being overcome. That's in the present. Okay, we are still in a struggle with the power of sin, but the Holy Spirit in us is changing us, growing us, so that we can experience victory upon victory over sin in our lives. And one day, sin 
will no longer even be present. Pastor Kevin talked about that last week. And the not yet, right? And the yet to come. The presence of sin isn't even going to be there. There isn't even going to be the, the temptation to sin. It's gone. What an incredible truth. If you look in, in verse 12, kind of look ahead, it, it talks about obeying its evil desires. So, so Paul understands that while we are dead to the rule of sin, it no longer has mastery over us. It still has a pull in our lives. There is a second implication, though, of this truth of being baptized into Christ. <laughs> Man, is it the good part. Man, is it the good part. Yeah, the old self, it died with Jesus. Absolutely. Now we have new life. We are now alive in Christ Jesus. We are all together a new person. We are a new person. Listen to what it says in verse 4 again. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And in verse 8 it says, Now if we died with Christ, which is yes, yes we have, then we believe that we also live with him. Galatians 2.20 again, Paul says, I no longer live. The old self is dead, but Christ lives in me. I am a new creation with Christ living in and through me by the Holy Spirit. What an incredible truth. One that was really hard to understand. Do you remember John 3 and the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus? Nicodemus asked Jesus, how can I have eternal life? And what's Jesus' answer? You have to be born again. You have to be born again. And if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been born again. You are a new creation. You are dead to sin. You are now alive in Jesus Christ. And so now we desire to bring glory to God. We now long to give him the praise he alone deserves. Our merit is not our own, but on the grounds of Jesus' gracious resurrection. We are alive because of him. Church, we have to understand who we are in Christ Jesus. This is where victory over sin starts. This is where victory over our present sin, the power of sin, starts. It's understanding that we're already dead to the rule and reign of sin. But I do know that I do sin, and I don't always feel that victorious. Anybody else ever feel like that? Yeah. And so I have three different reasons why we may not feel that victory in our lives. And, and there's more, so this isn't all-inclusive here. But it, it starts here. Um, we might be uncooperative with the Holy Spirit. It might be a reason why we, we aren't experiencing that victory. Right? The Holy Spirit is in us to help us grow in the knowledge of truth, to give us the power to overcome the present sin in our lives. But if we aren't cooperating with him, then we're going right back to the sin that we died to. 
That's why in Philippians 2.12 it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, talking about following the compulsion of the Spirit, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This isn't salvation he's talking about. You've already been saved. The Holy Spirit is in you, but we must continue to work out that salvation, continue to follow the compulsion of the Holy Spirit that we might gain the power over the sin in our lives. And so we must confess and repent and confess and repent and confess and repent, growing in our ability growing in our power over sin as the Holy Spirit continues to do that work in our hearts. There's another reason why we, it sometimes doesn't feel like we're living the new self. It's, it's the deceitfulness of the enemy. Anybody ever feel like you have an enemy that you just can't see and put your finger on? It's because we do. We have an enemy. The devil is continually accusing us. In fact, the very first book of the Bible that was put on paper it was the book of Job. And in, in that book, Satan even has the gall to accuse God. It's like Job only follows you because you have some favoritism for Job. And if you took away all of the good things from him, he's not going to praise you. He's accusing God. And we look in Revelation 12.10, and it says that, that Satan is the accuser of all the brethren who sits in the throne room accusing us day and night, day and night. This is our enemy. He doesn't want us to live this free life that God desires for us to have. He's a liar. He accuses us. He tells us that we're still stuck in this spiral of sin even though we are no longer. He wants to keep this truth from us so that we continue to be enslaved to what we have been set free from. And so we have to know the truth, church, so that we can recognize the lies. We need to pray the enemy away in those moments. In those moments. And if we know the truth, we're going to recognize the lies when we think about people who, who look at the, you know, f falsified checks and stuff like that, they, they don't study the false checks. They study the true. They study what a dollar bill actually looks like. They study what a true check actually looks like. So that way when they see the lie, they recognize it because it's not the truth. And it's the same way with us. We have to recognize our truth. So when the enemy tries to lie to us, we can say, that's not right. I have died to sin. It no longer has mastery over me. So maybe you've been deceived. There's another reason. Maybe you just haven't grasped it yet. Maybe you haven't grasped the truth yet. Maybe it's just kind of been floated into your ear and it's just kind of like went in one and out the other. And so you haven't really come to the realization of the freedom that you actually have in Jesus Christ. And so Paul deals with this issue right away there in verse 11. Let's go to it. It says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life because you have. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. And so the major point, number two here, is that we need to reckon our status as a new creation. Reckon our status as a new creation. Dead to sin, alive to God. Dead to sin, alive to God. Reckon this. Now you go, reckon. I don't use that word anymore. Yeah, I got that out of the King James. I just love that word out of the King James. Right? So if you're like, why don't I hear more King James around here? There you go. Should be good for a year. But what does this word reckon mean? Well, it's more than than the NIVs just consider or count. It's deeper than that. Reckoning is relying on. It's relying on being sure of something, to count on it fully. It's to bring the truth to life in yourself. That is reckoning. It's the exact same word that it says that Jesus did or God did to Abraham. It says Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness in Romans 4.3. That word credited, it's the same word here. Reckon it as true. If you've ever made a big decision in your life and you put it in front of somebody, I hope somebody at some point said, are are you sure? That doesn't mean they don't want you to make that. They just want to make sure that you have reckoned the thought process in your heart, that you have examined the whole thing, that you realize the whole implication of the decision that you're making. We are to do the same thing of our salvation in Jesus Christ. We're to take the time to let that simmer, to put it in our head over and over and over and over again, that the Holy Spirit might do this magical thing and take it from our head and put it into our heart so it affects every single decision we make. We are to reckon this truth. We pray to that end. We study God's word to that end. We count ourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Miles J. Stanford says it this way. He says, to reckon on the truth is to rest in and receive the fruit of the truth. It's so much more than just an intelligent thought process. It's allowing that truth to affect every single decision that we make. And so we're faced with temptation. And if we've reckoned the truth, we say, no, I have died to that. I have died to that. I don't want that anymore. I am a new creation. I am not trapped into having to obey that sin. That sin does not own me. It is not my master. I have a master. His name is Jesus. Guys, this isn't just positivity. I know I've I've heard a lot of people talking about, oh yeah, this is just positive. Think positively, think positively. And, And that's a good thing, but this isn't it. Someone who's thinking positivity, they're they're just trying to wish something in, right? Oh, I'll just be a better person if I'm always having positive thoughts. 
or I'm always speaking positively, I'll become a positive person. This isn't wishful thinking, this is reality. This is truth. This is who you are. You have been baptized into Christ Jesus. Your sinfulness is dead. It's dead. And you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus spoke this. He says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold to it, can you just picture that? Like, like grabbing it, like I'm not going to let go of this truth. I'm not going to let go of this reality. I'm not going to believe the lies. I'm not going to fall into this temptation. I'm going to trust in what Jesus says about me, that I am a new creation. If I hold on to this teaching, if you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then we take this truth, and when it applies to our circumstances, we experience the freedom that God has for every single one of his children who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and his works. And this is just the start, folks. This is just the start. There will be more that God will lead you through. He might ask you to forgive somebody. He might have to heal you of some deep wounds that are still festering. You might have to reconcile with some other people. There might be some pride in your heart that God has to humble. But it starts with reckoning who you are in Christ Jesus. It starts with knowing your identity. You're not the white bag anymore. You're the blue bag. You're an altogether new person. And because you are a new person, it says, therefore, Paul says, therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey or listen to its evil desires. Don't let it rain. It doesn't rule you, church. Yeah, I keep falling into that sin, but it doesn't own you. It wants you to think that it owns you, but it doesn't own you. So don't listen to its evil desires. Sin is not your master. One commentary puts it this way. The very idea of responding positively to sin's invitation should strike the believer as morbid. It should strike the believer as morbid. For the Christian to choose to sin is the spiritual equivalent of digging up a a corpse for fellowship. A genuine death to sin means that the entire perspective of the believer has been radically altered. And so the second, therefore, is offer all of you to God, none of you to sin. Offer all of you to God and none of you to sin. Don't have one foot in and one foot out. Don't have one arm in and one arm out. You are fully a new creation. Bring all of it into Christ Jesus and offer yourselves to him. Be in his presence now, in his camp. Don't hang out next to sin. 
that doesn't mean we're not in the world. But when the temptation comes, we run to Christ and we offer ourselves to him over and over and over again. We started um, with that sentence, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Should we continue sinning so that grace may increase? May we answer like Paul answered, no way. No way. I am dead to sin. It does not own me. Why would I live in continual sin anymore? I'm a new creation. I've been brought to life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this significant truth, the truth of the gospel, that we are a free people. We are no longer under the chains and the yoke of sin and ultimately death. But we have been brought to life with our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are no longer the victim We are the overcomers in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let us live in this truth. Let it sink down way deep into our souls that when we experience that temptation, we say, no way. I don't want to go back to that. Christ, you have dealt with sin and your gospel deals with sin. It no longer has the same power over us. Let us live under the compulsion of your Holy Spirit. Let us believe the truth that you have given us in your word. And may we live the life of victory that is your desire for us from the very beginning. We pray this all in Jesus' most precious and holy name. Amen.